Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Very happy to be with you again today, and thank you for tuning in with us. I would like to uh, introduce our panel, and um, I especially want to welcome one of our members of the panel today, and that's Pastor Will Grobler. Good to have you with us, Pastor Will, because for a while you you're absent for various reasons, but it's so good to have you with us back. Thank you, and I've missed being with you. Thank you, Harvey, for joining us, even though today was um, a last-minute call. But you jump straight in your car and come for this uh, Bible study, and thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Helen, thank you for being with us today. Like always, you are very welcome and uh, looking forward for your comments. Thank you. It's a delight to be here again. Len is our facilitator today, and Len, thank you very much for putting together this uh, Bible study and uh, leading out, and it's uh, over to you now. Okay, well, hello listeners. It's nice to be sitting on the other side of the desk for a change. Today's Bible study is the final one in the series, which we've been following for the last 12 weeks. We're entitled The Least of These, and the theme is that Christians... God's people, in other words, should be those who are prepared to help anyone who's in need. Christians are to live having Jesus as our example. Because Christianity is not just doctrine and devotions. It is to be practical, where we demonstrate our gratitude to God who's been merciful to us, although none of us deserve his mercy. Christianity has many dimensions, and for the last 12 weeks we've focused on helping those in need. Today, we focus on working as an organisation, as a church community, emulating Jesus and serving as his hands, his feet and voice and heart. The title of today's study is A Community of Servants. And as is our custom, we would like to start this study with prayer, inviting the Holy Spirit to direct us as we lead out and directing you as you listen. Thank you, Helen. Loving Heavenly Father, again, it is a delight, it is a privilege to be here to open the Bible, to study, and also, Lord, you promise that you are with us. Pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit will indeed work in and through us and will indeed touch the hearts of all the listeners this morning. I pray, Lord, that we can follow your example and as we see it through this study this morning, an example of being a servant and um, thinking of the other people and not ourselves. Lord, may we be totally focused on you and give you our all, I pray in the loving name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Helen. Well, I'm going to start off with a question and I'm going to address this question to you, Will. As Christians, and in particular as church communities, what should be our attitude to change? I think uh, learning the lesson from the, the church in Acts, the early church, these folk were centred on helping others uh, we shouldn't ever underestimate the potential of a church as a group, an organized community of believers to to bring about change in this world. In fact, uh, I think that we, uh, in acting as a church, are sometimes insular. We cut out the world, and that is really, really wrong. I, uh, we become distracted with keeping the church itself going, which I believe is not a good thing. 
I remember reading a a hymn, which, um, if you wouldn't mind me reading this, these words, it's pertinent to the question, Len. When the church of Jesus shuts its outer door, lest the roar of traffic drown the voice of prayer, may our prayers, Lord, make us ten times more aware that the world we banish is our Christian care. If our hearts are lifted, where devotion soars high above this hungry, suffering world of ours, lest our hymns should drug us to forget its needs, forge our Christian worship into Christian deeds, lest the gifts we offer, money, talents, time, serve to salve our conscience, to serve to our secret shame. Lord, reprove, inspire us, by the way you give, teach us, dying Saviour, how true Christians live. And I think true Christians live by sharing and caring. In um, my occupation as a teacher, I was always challenged with the idea, am I reflecting society's values or am I changing society's values for something better? And I believe the same applies to us as Christians, that we become leaders of change in what we do, how we think, and what we share. And I think that um, hymn that you quoted, at least the lyrics of it, are very much on this topic, that as Christians we should be making a change in society. Well, The Bible uses a number of metaphors to describe God's people. What are they and how do they work? Now, there's several here. Helen, would you like to share? Well, I'd like to share the one about salt and uh, might even go on to light if that's okay. Matthew 5.13 speaks about the words, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, it says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavour? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. And I guess the reason why, why this comes about is because salt... If it's lost its flavour, it's no good. You know, salt, we know that when we add salt to our food, what a change it can make. Of course, you can have too much salt (laughs) as well as not enough. But if Christians make no effort to affect the world and and change which you've been talking about, um, around them, they're not of a lot of value, are they? Heavenly value. Mm -hmm. Because we're not affecting change. We're not um, giving the salt. But, and we can be too much like the world. We can be worthless. But at the same token, we need to blend in. In other words, we need to get out of the salt shaker sometimes. Don't be so insular, as Will was speaking about. We need to get out of the salt shaker. There's a, a great book that's been written uh, by Rebecca Pippert about coming out of the salt shaker. You know, we need to mingle with everyone. Mm. And, you know, we need to affect them positively, as salt can, and get the best flavour. So we need to be the best flavoured Christians that we can be. Salt is not particularly obvious in food, is it? No, it blends Nevertheless, yes. it makes the difference. It makes a difference between something that's plain, mm-hmm. fairly tasteless, to something that is much more palatable. And I believe this is the part of a Christian's duty in society. Yeah. Now there's another one very much associated with that one, Helen. 
Yes. In the same chapter and the following verse. What is it? I'd like to talk about that too. It's talking about light. Matthew 5:14 and it says here you are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. You know, if we think about a city that's on a mountain, can and they've got the lights on, it can be seen for miles, can't it? That city because the lights are there and if we live for Christ, we will glow like that light it will emanate from us but there are things that that hide our light when you think about it we think of you know being quiet when we should speak and we were talking about that in a group earlier that can dim our light going along with the crowd denying the light letting sin dim our light not explaining our light to others or ignoring the needs of others we need to be a beacon of truth and don't shut out the light from the rest of the world i'm reminded of when i was in the teaching game and I may have shared this before to the listeners but let me share it quickly again I was working in a commercial skills training center and there was a my colleague there was a very staunch catholic and she was a lovely lovely lady and everybody knew she was catholic everybody knew that she was in the choir everybody knew she was even studying the priesthood which I thought was really quite incredible and I stopped and I thought how many people know that I'm a Christian. How many people know I'm a Seventh-day Adventist in my workplace? And I thought, well, you're there. They know I'm a Christian. And I had made a very big mistake having been a missionary up in Papua New Guinea. Whenever anybody asked me what we did in Papua New Guinea, I would say, oh, my husband was an aircraft engineer and we went up there and end of the story. And I made a promise to God. I said, the next time somebody asks me, I'm going to tell them what we were doing. Mm. Not because... I don't think I was really ashamed of it. I think I just didn't know how people would react. And so he's very quick at acting when you give your life to him. 24 hours later, I had the opportunity in the staff room where um, a staff member came up and said, you lived in Papua New Guinea? I said, yes. And she said, oh, so-and-so, she's here as a temp. She was in Papua New Guinea. And so they started asking questions. And instead of stopping at saying aircraft engineer full stop, I said, we did that for three years in Madang. Then we were called for, to be missionaries up in the Highland with the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Well, I was stunned. The amount of questions that came mm. from that, even to the point when we completely finished, one of my colleagues, everybody went their way, one of my colleagues in the staff room came up to me and said, would you pray for me, please? Yeah. I said, yes, I'd like to. She said, no, I mean now. And we knelt in the staff room and prayed. And so I had been hiding my light. And I was so grateful that God had shown me that example of my colleague, which was a great light to me, and that in turn I could be a light to others. Okay, yeah. thank you. I recall years ago um, in school a, um, an experiment where they wanted to demonstrate that you can pass an electrical current to light a light through water and um, well they tried and it didn't work but then the professor actually added salt to the water and uh, the electro current electrical current passed through the beaker of water and lighted up the little light wow. and so we have we have salt acting as an agent to transmit light and i thought how relevant to the christian life we are the salt but we are also carrying the light without the salt the light doesn't shine that's a very That's interesting real. thing, oh. Will. Yes, I'm aware of the reasons why. The salt flavours society. As Christians, we flavour society. 
society without Christians would be a lot worse off. With the light, we are able to give direction because in a, in a dark place, you will naturally want to go to the, toward the light. And as Christians, we are to be light. Mm-hmm. Yes, Len, and uh, as already has been mentioned, how important it is uh, about the salt and about the light. Each thing has his own properties to, in the case of the salt, to give taste, you know, to the food, light to shine around. But we haven't gotten necessarily in our study verse 17, but I would like to just briefly mention that because I believe it links very well what we were talking about because Jesus, you know, he is the the Sermon on the Mount, you know, and the Beatitudes. And in verse 17, Jesus is saying this, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or writings of the prophets. No, I come to accomplish their purpose. What I'm trying to say If you want to be a light to shine around, you need to reflect the teachings of God, the teachings of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And very important because when we read these passages in the Bible, sometimes we can take out of context and we can change around things. But you see, Jesus is very intentional of building up his teaching. We need to have consistency and based on the teachings That's very good, Nick, and it ties in very well with the next of these five metaphors about Christians, and I'm going to read to you Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, which says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, a holy and pleasing to God. Let this be your spiritual act of worship. All right, so the third of these metaphors is living sacrifices. Now, a sacrifice was given um, in the old Jewish economy or the Israelite economy as a means of purifying a person of sin. And as Christians in society, part of our job is to be, if you like, a purification to help people understand what's right and wrong and to be an example of pure, clean, holy living. There was an injunction in the Old Testament that no offering needed to be, should have been offered without the presence of salt. So no offering is to be offered without salt. How appropriate to think that um, this is also part of our study, that we are to be salt. Very good. Yes, Helen. Yeah, I, I also believe that the living sacrifice is meaning that we we need to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, as you were saying, but we need to be daily laying aside our own desires, yeah. you know, and, and our own longings, if you like, and we need to put all our energy, um, all our resources at the feet of Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, and there's the sacrifice. Yes, I agree with you there, Helen, that yeah. as... Um, sacrifices put aside our own interests in favour of the interest of others mm. having. Just one little point about that too. A sacrifice means that we're doing something probably that under normal circumstances we wouldn't do. And it may be that it creates an issue for us. 
But when you consider that we are doing it for eternal benefit, not for just present benefit, I think that we have to understand. Very few of us, and I've certainly been one of them, I'm sure I cannot understand eternity. I can understand the concept of eternity going on and on and on and not stopping, but really we we are so finite in the way that we think and live that the concept of eternity is hard for us. All right, well, now we get down to metaphor number four, Harvey, and would you like to share with us what that one is? Yes, sure. I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Now here we have a very important point, and that is that it says that we're ambassadors. We are to be ambassadors. Christians are ambassadors for God. And that's an ambassador is in the place of God. We are representing our country. And when you consider, I just said before, even though it was not related to this necessarily, but our country, this is not our home. We are here temporarily, but our country is heaven. And so we're ambassadors for heaven, and that's the way we should live, because we should be seen by people as being ambassadors for Christ, and that they see in us something different, and perhaps something that they would like to be part of as well. Yes, just before you um, comment, Nick, an ambassador is someone who speaks for the government. Yes. And in our case as Christians, we speak for and live for our God whom we serve. And also in the context of uh, this study for today, because we're talking about to be an example, you know, for all the people living around us, how important is that as an ambassador, which is let's put it this way, looking of the politics of this world, you know, an embassy, regardless in which part of the world it's established, it's part of the country which it represents. And that's very important for us now, even though, as Harvey mentioned, our home is not here. But as children of God, we have, if you like, heaven on earth here with us, representing that heaven, that kingdom of God we're representing it here and the way we live it should should reflect if you like the politics of the kingdom of heaven, not of the country in which you are located in this case in our situation we are on this earth, you know, in this world but as the Bible says we should not be part of this world, you know we are in this world but not part of this world i just like to add to that too Nick, when you think about an ambassador of reconciliation, which is what we are, it's a very awesome responsibility. And sometimes we take that very, very lightly. Mm. We've got to be very careful who we are representing and what we are doing. You know, we don't want to take it lightly. We want to think about how well it's each one of us fulfilling that commission. He's called every one of us to be ambassadors. And this gets taken yeah. up with the next, the fifth 
metaphor which Will is going to share with us. Yes, perfume or a savour, as the Bible calls it. Um, in Second um, Corinthians 2, verse 14, it says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savour of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savour of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savour savour of death unto death, and to the other a savour of life unto life. And then he asks the question, who is sufficient for these things? I wonder, Len and uh, panel and listeners, if... Um, how our life comes out to those that we meet. Is it a savour of life unto life, or is it a perfume of, uh, of death? I found a little statement which I'd like to share. In my favourite book, Steps to Christ, it says, When the love of Christ is enshrined in the heart like a sweet fragrance, it cannot be hidden. Its holy influence will be felt by all with whom we come into contact. I think that love for Jesus will be manifested in a desire to work as he worked for the blessing of mankind, uplifting of humanity. And uh, this leads to love, tenderness, and sympathy toward all the creatures of God's care. I'd like to, to mention something that I was reading through the week, and I think it helps us to understand a little bit more about where this idea came from. You know, in the Roman triumphal processions, you know, the Roman general would display his treasures and um, the captives, to the captives, uh, he would display the captives as well amid a cloud of incense at the time and you know to the victors the aroma was sweet to the captives in the parade it it was the smell of slavery and death mm. and that helped me to understand a little bit more why to some it's sweet and why to some it's it's not and i think when christians preach the good news is good news to some and repulsive news to others and we've probably all experienced that believers recognize the life-giving fragrance perfume of the message but to non-believers it can smell foul like death and it's their own death but i'd also like to share something else but then you want to say something first? yes i do it talks about perfume or an aroma in my particular version of the bible which is the new international version perfume can have a very pleasant aroma and then it talks about the aroma of death have you ever smelt a dead pig that's been on the nose for about four days? <laughs> no, you want to stay <laughs> well away from it. And this is actually pointing out that as Christians, we are to be these positive things, salt, light, a living sacrifice, an ambassador, and a sweet perfume, and not a perfume of death. Now, I know you want to share with us something. <laughs> Please do. Yes, I, I would actually. Each one of those images has an action, if you notice, and it's associated with that image, not as a means of being acceptable to God, but a me as people already accepted by God through Christ's sacrifice, who've responded to God's love and the grace that he gives by being his agents in a hurt and a dying world. But they also can be considered on a still deeper level because God's love and grace is what the kingdom of God is about. 
when we act in such a way, reflecting to others the love and the, the amazing grace, we enact and participate in the eternal kingdom even now. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to something a little different, but really coming around to the same thought. Will, would you share with us that famous verse in Revelation chapter 14, verse 12? Yes, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So who are the saints? Saved. They're God's people. God's people. They're God's people. Now, what two aspects does it talk about here in Revelation 14, 12. Two aspects of the saints. Well, they're a commandment-keeping people, first, firstly, and they also have the, um, the faith of Jesus. Okay. Now, panel, why is commandment-keeping important? Some people say, no, you don't need to worry about that anymore, and I think they're very short-sighted. Why is commandment-keeping important? Yes, Harvey. Well, there's a text also that says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so here we have a situation. It's not a case of keeping the commandments to be saved, but we keep the commandments because we are saved. And it's in response to the salvation that Jesus has provided for us that we want to do what he has asked us to do. And so it's a response. It's not something to earn our salvation or to earn approbation but it's actually a response to the salvation that's been given to us yes Helen it's love in action in other words the first four commandments um, is our love towards God and his love to us of course because he gave it to us for a reason but our love towards God which is the start of the letter L for love comes down and then it goes out to others you know, it's complete love in actions. You know, yes. what we do for others, the last six. Yeah. And and I, I believe it is is very, very important because God designed those ten commandments, not, not as suggestions, but as commands because he wants us to have the best life more abundantly on this earth. And we get that when, as for example, the first commandment, we need to love the Lord with all our heart, with all there is about us. And I believe if you keep the, the first one, it's not so hard to keep the rest. But, yeah, I think that's why they're very that's important. Right. It's love in action. Take an example, yeah. thou shalt not steal. Yeah. If you don't steal, or I'll turn it the other way, if you do steal, you're not loving your neighbour or whoever it is. You're disregarding their rights to have certain things which they've got. But if you don't steal, then you are respecting their rights to own certain things, and that is love in action. It's, it's a bit like then with what you're just saying. It's not just the fact of loving your neighbour and loving God. It's a form of loving yourself. You were created by God. And we need to love ourselves, love other people like we love ourselves. And I'm not saying that in a selfish manner. I'm just saying that if you steal, you're not loving yourself because you're going to end up with a terrible guilty conscience. Yeah. And that damages yourself. Yeah. Also, I'd like to mention that, um, you know, we're talking about commandments, you know, but we can um, practically say, that's the law of God. And what is the law revealing to us? His character. It reveals God's character. It reveals God's character. And what else? If we look in, uh, to the law, what else do we know about ourselves? 
we know that we are sinners. Yeah, it's like a mirror. It's, it helps to rec us to recognise our state that, that we're in. It's, we wouldn't even know sin if there was no commandments because the Bible says sin is transgression of the law. So we know sin by knowing that the law has been transgressed. Correct. And in, in the context of our uh, Bible study today, when we are called to, to unite, to help the needy, to feel with everyone around us, if you don't know the law of God and the requirements of the law of God, you wouldn't have any no, you'd just be selfish feelings towards... Yourself. Correct, you know. And how important is not to disregard the law of God? And I don't understand myself, as Len, you pointed out, how Christians have that boldness of saying that the law of God is done away with. You know, it's not important anymore. Even though we are... As, and uh, Harvey, you pointed out rightly, we are not saved by the law of God. We are saved by the grace of God. But the law is that reflection that we know God. We know that God which gave us that grace. I would love us to have two or three hours to discuss this, Nick, because yeah. I, I think it's such shallow theology, yeah. so shallow it's, it's pitiful to say that God's law was done away with. But anyhow, there are two aspects will point it out uh, about God's people. It says they will keep the commandments of God and have the faith in Jesus. So why is faith in Jesus important, panel? I'm sorry, Lynn, but I disagree to some extent, and I'm not trying to be disagreeable, but it's not the faith in Jesus, it's the faith of Jesus. Yes. Because the faith we get is a gift from Jesus as well. So it's his faith that we have. We exercise the faith that he has given us. So it's our faith, of the faith of Jesus. Yes, I don't disagree with you either, Harvey. Um, <laughs> in fact, I substitute of and in some, uh, because faith in Jesus is important. Oh, absolutely, I but agree with that too. We also have to exercise the faith of Jesus to expect our help to come from the a divine power. All right, now we're going to look at an example of somebody who, as God's representative, did something rather fantastic. And this is Moses. So who was Moses, Helen? Well, Moses was a very interesting person in the fact of even his upbringing and what have you. But I think in view of the fact we don't have a lot of time to discuss who Moses was, he was actually a servant uh, of uh, God in a very real way. As, as he got older, mind you, he had to have 40 years out there with the sheep before God could get rid of some of his habits from his upbringing. But at the same time, he became a great leader mm. of the Israelite nation. And I think, let, let me just look at it in Exodus with you. Exodus chapter 32, verses 9 and 10. And again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, I want to just put the setting here before we actually talk about this. Moses actually um, had gone up a mountain. And he had been up there to talk to God. He'd been up there for quite a while. And the people got very impatient. 
is all I can say because it, it took such a long time. They heard nothing for him. And they decided that they, they went to Aaron, who was the um, leader of the group at that time, and said to him, you know, make us some gods who can lead us. How soon they forgot what God had been doing, wasn't it? Anyway, they um, they did go ahead and they made this calf and, and because it was part of their upbringing in Egypt when they were slaves and they were dancing around and they were doing all sorts of immoral acts and what have you. And when Moses came down the mountain, the Lord spoke to him saying, go quickly, go quickly down. You know, your people that you brought out, they've corrupted themselves. So that's the background of what, what the next verse says in Exodus 32, 9 and 10. It says, then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation now how i see that moses had become not only the leader he was also the servant um of of god when we actually look down to verse um 32 it says here let me have a look but now if you will only forgive their sin but if not erase my name from the record you have given you have written you know what an amazing man was moses he was willing to be blotted out from eternity for the sake of those people he interceded for the people um, he intervened for the people he put his own interests aside for the benefit of others I think he's an absolute great example of servant leadership mm. Mm. would you say he was a living he regarded himself as a living sacrifice absolutely let's remember though that Moses was not perfect no you know and in fact um, I remember years ago studying into Moses and I thought we all suffer a little bit from MIS which is Moses inadequacy syndrome he felt very inadequate when God first called him but that was a good thing because he wasn't proud mm. of that and God could use him and I think there's many many lessons we can learn from Moses living sacrifice as a as a salt as light as an ambassador and perfume yeah well it's a great love to be able to pray that uh, your name be blocked out from the record of heaven wow. in order to benefit those that uh, that he is serving. Um, I have found myself praying the same sort of prayer for my own immediate family, uh, that the Lord remembers them above me. But you know, it's, a, it's another thing to be able to pray the same prayer, uh, blot my name out of glory uh, for the obnoxious man that lives across the street and uh, any person that is ungrateful. Yet Moses could actually pray for the ungrateful and the unkind, those people that were amongst. That is true love. Yeah. And it's a love that's only um, only placed in the heart by Jesus. Absolutely. Oh, God, right. Jesus himself on the cross, didn't he? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Absolutely. He was there for them, and yet they were crucifying him. Well, we kind of answered uh, a question that I was going to ask you. That was, how should God's people relate to the erring, the obnoxious man across the street, as Will said, and so on? How should God's people, us, how should we relate to those people? Harvey? Well, I think if we read from Matthew 28, verses 19, and I'd like to read verse 20 as well, because I think they go together. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then on to verse 20. 
teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And I love the promise that comes now. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the, here we have, we can almost say the 11th commandment, because it's not a suggestion, it's, it's a, a command that Christians are given. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We should spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. So that doesn't mean, well, leave them to their own devices, go and teach them something better. And I would like to read from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And here is a, um, a message from Jesus. He said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. And then he says, In Jerusalem, and in all Judea, in Samaria, down to the uttermost parts of the earth. So this is all-inclusive, that as Christians we are ambassadors for God to teach people a better way. In the same line of thought, uh, Len, we have the injunction in 1 Peter 2, verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good works and glorify God on the day of visitation. You're living such a good life that they, even though they disagree with your doctrine, they can't disagree with your God. Yes, mm. And I just uh, want to pick up on, on something, Len, which you just said about we Christians. Because this is very interesting uh, thing, and I'd like to elaborate a little bit here. All Christians are doing God's will. Are all Christians doing God's will? To put the question a little bit different. Because this is the problem. We read a little bit earlier about uh, Moses. And you know, when Aaron did what he did, Helen, you, you spoke about that. Mm. God said to Moses, you know, let me just wipe out these people. And I'll make a great nation out of you, Moses. And Moses stood up for that and intercede, if you like, for for the people of God God not to do that because he was putting himself on the line for the sake of others and I would like to, to clarify something here in my humble opinion I believe that not all the Christians are the children of God because if we look in um, Revelation chapter 12 and I'll read just verse 17, but please read uh, the verses before, you know, uh, at home. Um, I'm just saying to our listeners. In verse 17, it says this from chapter 12, Revelation 12. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children, all who keep the commandments and maintaining their testimony for Jesus. There are only those people who are faithful to God, who are the remnant, if you like, of, of God. And I would like to say very quickly here, in Israel, during Jesus' time, who are the people who are called to teach the good news of the Bible to the rest of the world? Who are they? That was Israel, was it? Yeah, the, Jews. the Jews. The Jews. Now, how many, after Jesus' teachings, how many of them were doing that? 
was just a handful of people, you know, the, the disciples, and then 70 and 120 and so on. And they turned the world upside down because they committed their life to God. Now, today in our time we live, it's, I believe it's a very, a very small minority who stands for God properly, following God's teaching, exactly yeah. like what was the, in the time of the Jews. Yeah. And just come back to what Will was reading mm. from First Peter two twelve, where it talks about that unsaved people might see our good works. What side of works or deeds would they be that they, the unsaved might see? Again, it comes back to this uh, sweet perfume, the presence of Christ in the heart uh, that just cannot be hidden. Doing good to others, you know, righteous living, living soberly, um, cheerful, thankful, uh, open to scrutiny lives, living. Um, people might see that we're an example of morality. I think it goes a bit further too, doesn't it? Like this whole quarter, it's talking about feeding the hungry, clothing the those that need clothing, sheltering those that need shelter and that's really doing the works that God wants us to do I'd like to just share an example that I read from uh, an author Nathan Brown which the book is called For the Least of These if I may um, he he was talking about what we can do you know the very question you asked Lynn and he said one such church which I have connections to through family and friends and I know this church is the Eight Mile Plain Seventh-day Adventist Church in Southern Brisbane in Australia, suburban Brisbane, Australia. Their recent experience of working with refugee families from Iran and Syria began with the nearby Adra Community Centre, which is, which is the Adventist Development Relief. They offered English language classes for refugees living in community detention after seeking asylum in Australia. And inquiring about attending church, a group of Iranian men were referred to the Eight Mile Plains Seventh-day Adventist Church. They were welcomed, felt comfortable in a community that did not eat meat or drink alcohol. As the members and refugees got to know each other, one of the Iranian... Iranian men was offered employment by a church member. Other members from the church visited this man's wife in the hospital after she suffered a miscarriage. They learned more of the family's difficult living situation and tenuous immigration status, stepped up to help. The members welcomed them into their homes, arranged for better housing, wrote to the Department of Immigration and Border Protection on their behalf with some success and as they became friends and adopted family members they heard more of their heartbreaking stories over time the church members have lobbied government agencies attended court hearings sponsored children to attend the local Adventist school both the husband and wife in one family are employed by the local Adventist nursing home facility together the refugees and church members have celebrated the victories and grieved the losses and they, it goes on a little bit further than that but it's interesting that it finishes up by saying together they are citizens of a larger kingdom serving together with their different resources and abilities churches agencies institutions and members can become an effective web of justice this then drives the church's work and witness a group of people of justice will become a community of justice and many of these people now have come to know christ and they've been baptized christ method alone will give true success in reaching people the Saviour mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs and won their confidence. Then he said to them, follow me. So he, he spoke to them about or answered their needs 
their physical needs and after that had been answered, then he bid them to follow him. Yes, it's hard to listen when you've got an empty stomach or an aching leg or whatever it is. But when those things are sorted out, it's much people will be much more responsive now we have to hurry a bit Len, just before you go i just want to talk with what uh, harvey said what was the most important revenue which jesus used in his time to show his compassion to towards the people he just read it out didn't he didn't you say the savior mingled amongst the people yeah. and what was that yes. well was it his money no was it his, uh, no, his presence actually by being amongst them he showed his sympathy he ministered to their needs and that's yeah. encapsulated in his time. Jesus spent precious time with those people. That's why when you look about he mingled, which means he socialized with people, he sympathized with people, he served them in order to save them. He was there. He was there offering his time. For the generation we live in, time is very precious for us to make money, to do whatever we we want to do with them but we need to to give time to mm -hmm. to people mm. all right a quick answer helen which is more <laughs> important me. preaching the gospel or doing good works well a quick answer would be both of them are important but however let me put a caveat on that can the world see jesus in you and me in enlightening and what um nick has said people won't care what we care about until they know we care about them okay and i think that is is very important all right mm -hmm. now we've used a very a few terms we've talked about christians and believers and so on there is another term which um is recorded in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19. What's that term, Will? The household of faith. And how do you understand the household of faith or the household of God? I, I envision it as a, uh, as a family, as a close family. And I think that's what the church and Christians should be, close family. All right. So we're actually talking about corporate Christianity here, Harvey. How should the members of the household of God behave? Just in practical terms, we should behave in such a way that represents, uh, we as ambassadors for God, represent him arightly, aright. Because if we don't, we're not representing our master and other people will not see our master as being something attractive for them. Now, if they want to, they can... I won't read it now, but they can go to Galatians 5 and read verses 22 to 26. We're a bit limited for time, and so, but if they look up Galatians 5, 22 to 26, they'll see the way Paul put it. I think a household of God, as in any community or organization, how it treats its members reflects the foundational values of the group. As the household of God, the body of Christ and the community of the spirit the church has the highest of callings to live out and live up to for God is not a God of disorder but of peace as in all congregations of the Lord's people that's 1st Corinthians 14 verse 33 all right well now we're moving on to something else um, from the book of Hebrews and I'd like to call this group of texts, which Helen is about to read, the four lettuces. 
So, Helen, would you like to read Hebrews 10, verses 23 to 25? Yes, I'm very happy to do that. It's, and again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, Let us hold, there's the lettuce, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. And I guess the reason is given there, it says, For God can be trusted to keep his promise. The next lettuce, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good work. And the next one, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but let us encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And, you know, if we have lots of letters, we're going to be quite healthy, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> to well, carry let's on with quickly that. go through yes. these four lettuces. Yes. Lettuce number one, Harvey. Why hold unswervingly to the hope we possess? Well, the thing is, if we lose hope, we will actually lose what we were hoping for. And the hope we have, of course, is in the second coming of Jesus and the return of Jesus and eternal life. All right. You lose sight of your goals, don't yes, you? Yes, you certainly Will, do. our second letters about spurring one another on towards love and good works, it, why? It can be very lonely um, with uh, trying to serve God all alone, um, as many of our listeners might experience, but it's so good to be a part of a, a fellowship, um, having people to encourage you along the way. Okay. Uh, Helen, mm -hmm. lettuce number three was let us not give up meeting together. Why should that be? Well, I think there's a couple of things. Number one, Jesus calls us to gather together and not to forget, but he also tells us to scatter and to go go about our work as well. But I, I think of it like a log in a fire. If the log is in the fire, it's going to burn brightly, isn't it? It's got the other logs around, and it's a bit like a Christian. Being in the church gives us, as Will said, we get, have that encouragement um, that will help us, that will keep us help us to we keep going we receive hopefully encouragement from one another and we give encouragement we are reminded of god's love and mercy uh, as we are worshiping together as a group we all have those same ideals um i i believe it's it is is very very important otherwise your light will go down it will go dimmer and dimmer if you're not meeting together and getting that encouragement and support before we get to lettuce number four nick i remember hearing or reading a story about an old Scottish man who disagreed with what the pastor said in one of his sermons one day and decided that he wouldn't go to church anymore. And weeks went by and he hadn't gone to church and the pastor went to visit him. But this man didn't want to talk to the pastor, so the pastor and he sat in front of the fire and there was complete silence. The pastor then took the tongs and he took one coal out of the fire and he put it on the hearth, I suppose you'd call it, in front of the fire and they both watched it. And like your analogy, this coal eventually went dim and went out. And this Scotchman, this Scottishman I should say, got the idea, he realised that by isolating himself he was making it very difficult to maintain his Christianity. It's good to associate with others who have the same hope and trust in God. All right, Nick, 
Latest number four was about encouraging one another. Why should we encourage one another? That's a good question, Len, and um, we live in a very individualistic society. And we experience in our times, uh, even from a spiritual point of view, a lot of uh, solitary believers. You know, they, everyone will say, look, I have my faith in God, I have my own thing, you know. But why do we need to be part of the group, of a community, of the family of God? And in terms of encouraging each other, then, you know, we can have ups and downs being part of the family of God. And we are not to be judgmental, and we are not to be unidirectional in what we do and what we think. We need to learn at the feet of Jesus and learn his method alone, that he was suffering even rejection and whatever else when he was mingling with people, when he was doing the right thing of encouraging people who maybe they were marginalized. But we are called to encourage each other. And I will say, from my uh, point of view, when I come in the church, I've got a lot of encouragement in the church because I came from a background which, uh, you know, was not so good, you know, from many aspects, which I'm not going to go into right now. But to get somebody to encourage me was really good. But I want to mention here, they never, people which I remember, they never encouraged me to just keep going with what I, how I feel, you know, what's my uh, way of life. They encouraged me for good. They encouraged me to change my life. They encouraged me to live differently. And that's what I call the true encouragement. Yeah. We're agents of change, aren't we? Mm. All right, Helen, I, I know you have a final, very <laughs> conclusive, pithy statement that you would like to share with our listeners. Yes, I would love to. And, and I, uh, the word synergy comes into my mind in pulling everything together, in, in looking at this whole um, study that we've looked at. In almost any task, cause or, or project, a group of people working together can achieve more than all of those people working individually. And I think we've seen that probably in our own life. But that reminds us again of the picture of the church as the body of Christ. You know, Romans talks about it being a body in which we all have different but, you know, exemplary roles to play. Everyone and every part is important. When we each do what we do best but do it in a way that allows our influences to work together, we can trust by faith that our lives and our work will make a difference for eternity. And while results are important when seeking to do what is right, the results are about people and their lives. We sometimes have to trust God with what the results must be. And Harvey, you brought that up through uh, the study this morning as well. You know, it's God. We, we sow the seed. He supplies the increase. And, you know, we need to remember that. At times when working to alleviate poverty, to protect the vulnerable and to, to um, free the oppressed and to speak up for the voiceless, perhaps we'll, we won't see much progress. And, and that said, we could become discouraged, but we have a hope that we are working in a far greater and inevitably victorious cause. I've read the end of the book. You know, Christ is victorious, and we're admonished to let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. 
Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I believe that's really, really good counsel. Do not become weary. Do not become discouraged. God knows the end from the beginning. And and I'm admonished in Scripture. It says, whatever you do for the Lord is not done in vain. We may not see the results on this earth, but boy, what a reunion we're going to have in eternity when people come up and say, see, I noticed you, I noticed what you did, and the fragrance was beautiful. I too gave my life to him. To those of you who are believers, I'd like to leave you with this thought today, that you and your church may be the only representation of Jesus some people will ever know. Don't forget that. So I want to thank you listeners for tuning in to this Bible study and for the others. I want to thank you panel for your input into today's study. And I want to thank all the panel members who have been involved in the Bible studies these last few months. Next week we will begin a new series of studies from the Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah. We hope you will join us as we share with you to help you understand the Word of God, the Bible, better. So, to finish today, Will, would you close with prayer, please? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of Jesus. We we so wish that we could have the disposition and character of Jesus merged into our lives, that we might be different. I pray, Father, that we may bear fruit, fruits of righteousness, of good deeds, and of love to everyone that we meet along the way. Point us to those in need, and Lord, help us to be willing to help those that are in need. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you so much again for being part of this Bible study, as Len, you just pointed out. Uh, these were uh, very practical um, methods of showing our uh, faith and belief in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that we enriched at some point, you know, some of our uh, listeners and will be able to live as a family uh, together. Until next time, may God bless you and don't forget, keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.